All right, Jack, ready to roll. Woohoo! We're doing breach of the week. Breach of the week. So let's talk about LastPass because that's recent and yummy. The other one is you could argue it was a breach, <laughs> breach of maybe maybe other things. But this whole topic, I don't, I don't even know what to call it other than an annoyingly dizzying content that I'm, I've actually just turned off at this point. But it's the whole thing around Peter Zakos Mudge. He was former head of security with Twitter, talked about stuff publicly. There's the whole debate on like what's actually considered released publicly. But, you know, I have to say like the banter on social media is another like proof statement why I hate social media as much as I do. It is a complete <laughs> waste of time. Well, as we operate in the podcast, and you folks will be seeing a pointer to this later on, recognize there is some real value to be had in social media <laughs> when it comes to us. However, right, however, it is the town square, right? And there will be people there dressed in funny clothes with funny hats on, screaming stuff that makes no sense. And I think that's what uh, I was reacting to. In fact, with both of these stories, right, I've known much for a long time. And I don't think I'm in a position to say whether he should or should not have released the data. We can talk about that a little bit that he did about the practices he found inside of Twitter. The thing I'm mostly reacting to, Justin, is an article that was written by the former CISO at AT&T, a fellow I've also known for a long time named Ed Amoroso, thoughtful guy, done a lot of good work in the past. But the thing I'm reacting to like mega super negatively is the article that Ed put out that basically said, and I'm going to put it this way, uh, Mudge should never have been a CISO because he doesn't act like us. Us is the legacy CISOs of yore um, who are really cut from very similar bolts of cloth, who have similar views on values and responsibilities, and who are just different, right? Who are just different. And there's a, almost a moralistic bent to the way that this thing is written that says, listen, if you're not this kind of person, you can't be a CISO. And that's the thing I think I want to get your thoughts on as we chat around today, as well as the thing in last pass. <laughs> The moment that we look at cybersecurity in terms of absolutes is the moment we've failed. And I'd say that's true from like a personnel standpoint, a technology standpoint, just a sheer operation standpoint. I would love to say it's a one size fits all and security is security and it's the exact same thing for every organization, but it's not. And that's what makes it so difficult, right? Because if it, if it was absolute, the idea of having like things like common ontology systems with fixed inputs would be a real thing because everybody's the same. Like data is the same, their business environment is the same, how they process information is the same, how they work with clients is all the same. But the truth of the matter is like, it's not. And I think even from a security leadership standpoint, it's not a one size fits all. And, you know, to say you have to be this or you have to be that in order to be a cybersecurity leader, it's kind of bullshit in my opinion, because like every business has different needs, right? Like if every business's cybersecurity leader, if you have one, needs to accommodate the business, like that's why you're there. You're there to secure the organization and that's your job. And so based on the type of the organization that may be, sometimes it's someone more technical. Sometimes it's someone who's more of a politician. It all depends. And I think the hard part about 
all of this is the people who are doing the hiring, which is usually the executive management. In these cases where you're looking for a security leader, they don't know what the F they're hiring. Like they can't differentiate. It's like, would you rather some award-winning CISO that had received awards 20 years ago, but has really just coasted on successes over the last couple of years? Would they look good or would there be like a new upstart, someone with maybe not all the awards and, you know, 20 years of certification, but is relevant by today's standard and actually like really gives a shit about what they're doing. Like an executive team that's not familiar with cyber isn't going to be able to determine like the differences between one and the other. It's a hard call. (laughs) I'm going to read you if I could a couple of lines from uh, Ed's article that I think describe exactly why this morning when I sent you the note at like 5.30 and I started to come unwound. Just just pause for a second. So for anybody listening needs to know, you sent this at 5.30 in the morning. And I read it at 5.30 in the morning, which means like if you sent it at 5.30, you had already been reading it from like five oh, yeah. or earlier. Oh, yeah. And then I wasted 20 <laughs> minutes of my life reading this. I will never have that 20 minutes back. I want you to know, I've got at least half of you listening to you, but I have this mistake of having the article dead set in front of me and I'm just getting more wound up the more I look at it. So it begins the article. He talks about the whistleblower claims from Mudge, what have you. Great. And what he says is, here's a direct quote. He's probably dead on correct about their lax security. Nothing he says about cyber protection at the company seems out of whack. In fact, it all sounds pretty familiar. Okay. So there's no effort by Ed in the course of this article to gainsay what Mudge is saying about the likely security problems there. Okay. There you go. The next thing I want to quote for you is two paragraphs down, right? This is probably the usual type of awful security problems at the usual type of company Welcome to the job of being a CISO. So what's just happened is Ed has said it's likely that Mudge saw things that were, to quote, awful security problems. And his view is the right job for the CISO was not to do what Mudge did, which was to disclose it, no matter how he did it. Now, I am not going to say Mudge should have or shouldn't have. I have nowhere near enough context. I don't think any of us do. And no one can get inside of Mudge's head to decide, you know, what was the value system that had him do it. My problem is that the CISO position, as defined in Ed's document, should be held by people who've learned to, and I quote, drive initiatives change opinions, and improve the culture in an enterprise. Okay, so were I thinking about this, and I am, the way I think about like other parts of businesses that I care about that may have problems, if I am the senior most engineering executive in Ford in the 1970s, and I notice through the data that Pintos are blowing up, right? That you hit them like a pinata and they go up, right? If I didn't feel a sense of responsibility to get people to change that thing, right? I believe, and I think the lawsuit showed, there is actually a responsibility that those executives bear for not disclosing what they knew to be potential dangers to the people who trusted them. Now, one could say, you're an executive, you shouldn't reveal this information because it'll have a negative effect on our company's reputation or stock price, right? But the way I look at it, 
You have a fiduciary responsibility to reveal what you know to the people who have to know about it. And one of the contentions is that not the right people were being formed, not the right people were being told. There's a back and forth between uh, Mudge and some of the folks who existed in the executive leadership at Twitter at the time saying it isn't appropriate to tell these people these things necessarily. If that's the case, I think maybe there's a different kind of person who could potentially be a CISO who believes that security problems are really, really serious and is passionate enough about them to make it more likely that people who ignore those warnings are going to have to express why they ignored them in the light of day. I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) I am with you on the whether he should have or should not have shared this publicly. I don't have context to say. I've certainly have opinions on it, but they're not informed by the correct context at this point. Hmm. The issue that I have with this is it only expresses one side of the story, Mm -hmm. which was his like, and that's fine. Like that's our media today. And you know, that's what we do. But when I look back over the years and I look at all the companies that I've worked for, where there's been, let's call them opportunities for improvement as it relates Mm -hmm. to someone's cyber posture, we work at it. We try to improve it. We work with the teams to try to make it better. But in all cases, management made a decision not to do anything about this thing, this opportunity for improvement. And some, I understood the why. I understood the reasons for not wanting to fix these things. Other times, I'm pretty sure they just blew me off and said, no, we're, we're too busy. This isn't a big enough fire. And so for me, in the course of like trying to opine on to like whether this thing was right or wrong is like, We've only really heard one side of the story in this case. And so there could be a really good reason why the things that he alleges are the way that they are. But in all cases, like what he wrote, like, I'm not shocked about it. I'm like, yeah, okay, what's next? Like I'm, I'm reading down to the article. I'm like, okay, when's it coming? Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. Yeah, I thought that to be true. And then article's over. I'm like, all right, where's the rest of it? Right on. But if you think about what that traditional CISO spends probably half of their non-work time doing, it's complaining about the lack of support they get for change, right? My budget's too small, technology doesn't work right, all that stuff, right? And they're complaining about it, right? And I'm not arguing that they're wrong. I'm just saying that's what they do. But in the second to last paragraph that Ed writes, he writes, the bottom line is that the job of the CISO involves fixing the types of things Mudge is whistleblowing. Now, at the top of the article, it says, yeah, these are pretty standard, and I quote, awful security problems at the usual type of company. So there's an admission at the top of the article that these things exist everywhere. I'm not surprised to see them. And at the bottom it says, and it's the CISO's responsibility to fix them by a fellow who's a CISO for decades. Mm -hmm. And they still exist and they're everywhere. So... If you're saying that the job of the person is to fix them, but no one is surprised by the fact that they're never fixed, that tells me we need a sea change in the type of people who occupy those roles. Yeah, I think it's um, more multifaceted than that. To me, in order to make the change that you need, there's got to be other organizational changes in accountability, which I'm going to play like my devil's advocate here for a second, is saying, I think we can all agree that this leadership position is a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's 
super hard. We don't have everything we want in order to do the jobs that we've been charged with carrying out. If we believe that it's an issue and that security in the most general sense across corporate America is failing, we haven't set up the organizational structures in order to be successful and to secure the organizations. Like assuming with the broad assumptions, the underlying assumption that companies can afford to pay for the required level of security and it's still not getting done, then maybe this type of disclosure is appropriate by what Mudge says. I think we could kind of debate that too, but you're never going to force like a broad level of change until it's been a public disclosure, like in the form of like what Sarbanes-Oxley did for financial accounting, right? And it's never going to change until you make some of these shortcomings public. And then at that point, the public, the consumers may choose collectively that they don't care, right? Like in a really good example in the finance sense would be like, the course is Sarbanes-Oxley, which is internal controls over financial reporting for publicly traded companies. So every company that's on a stock exchange today needs to have these audits done. And there's a lot of cases where public disclosures for material control weaknesses are in fact present and are disclosed in the course of financial reporting. But people trade and invest anyway because they don't give a shit. Right on. <laughs> right? Yep. And so we don't have that insecurity yet, even though some of the legislation I can kind of see like the storm clouds forming in the distance include some of that. Maybe if there was wanting to have broad change, having some level of disclosure for public companies to include cybersecurity is appropriate. But, you know, for some of these things here, I would actually question if what was said is true. I'm somewhat surprised that these things didn't come up in the internal control audits for Sarbanes because they could materially impact the financial reporting of the company, right? As far as like disclosures and retainers and things like retainers for legal lawsuits, like things of that nature. And all those could materially change how things are reported. And if that is true, then it brings me back to like the cybersecurity audit pieces of saying, if there is a security version of Sarbanes-Oxley, so we have SOCs for cybersecurity, then the next step is we have to have competent auditors who can kind of attest to some of these things. But again, like that whole like scheme is kind of screwed up anyway, because it's like you're paying that auditor to do a security audit on your company, therefore almost like creates this conflict of interest scenario as it relates to like public reporting. And to your point about they should have been discoverable through the audits and who knows whether they're right or not, but one of Mudge's claims was that they were not reporting accurately or performing accurately under the conditions of an agreement with the FTC. And again, I don't want to talk about whether or not he should have disclosed. My point is more that the type of person who thinks maybe they should disclose may be more like the type of person who could help us to change the industry. I, I want to tap on something you said a couple of minutes ago, which was, you know, we're only getting one side of the story, right? Yeah. So let's say Mudge reports out, oh, terrible security. Look at all these things I found. Well, at that point in time, Twitter could say, he's right, but we had a business priority. We did not do good identity management or we did not do good access control because 
it would have negatively impacted our profits and that was bad for people, or it would have forced us into new engineering processes, which would have slowed us down, or it would have taken too long and we really didn't feel like it or whatever, right? But that's not what they're saying. They're saying he shouldn't have disclosed it. So it feels to me like the other side of the discussion, the reasons why things exist, these awful security problems, as Ed describes them, that they're sort of admitting that they exist. They didn't exist because they had a good reason for them to exist. So anyway, I think we've beaten that to just about death. I appreciate you and our listeners letting me vent a little bit. And by the way, there are lots of exceptions. There are great CISOs out there. There really are. Yeah. Who work hard, who make things happen, who have good leadership, who support their things that they're doing that change the world. So this is not like all CISOs are bad. My problem is trying to define that a CISO is someone who doesn't rock the boat. When you become an executive and you have fiduciary responsibility, you keep your mouth shut. All of these things, because we know as a point of fact that a chief financial officer can be sued right? If they're concealing um, inappropriate behavior by other senior level executives that negatively impact the finances of the organization. So if other people at that C-level are responsible for disclosing when their management is doing something they feel is inappropriate, it's only fair to say CISO should do the same thing. And maybe uh, you had made the, the question about you know the regulators and what have you. With the SEC's recent proposed rules around cybersecurity being more of a boardroom issue, maybe we will start to see more fiduciary responsibility taken by folks around cybersecurity concerns beyond disclosure, but around cybersecurity concerns uh, because folks will be concerned that it negatively impacts the way that they're viewed as individuals and perhaps creates legal liability for them. I like it. Now, I guess before we go too far off this one, I think we're kind of wrapping up here. I think for anybody who's not in this position of security leadership, the challenges that Ed writes about and the challenges and Mudge's note here, like, those challenges are real. I know there's other people that deal with them at their own companies. And I think a lot of times it's a thankless job for a lot of people. So for those who aren't in that position, I'd say the challenge is real. And for those who are in actually that role, thanks for all the work that you do to try to make it better every day. 100%. Okay. Do we want to talk about LastPass. Absolutely. I just want to talk about it a little bit briefly, just because it was a similar sort of explosion, but more nonsense, you know, about what happened at LastPass. First off, major kudos to the team at LastPass for being prompt and transparent in what had happened. So, you know, they actually issued the commentary that most news outlets are citing, right? They actually describe what happened. I think that a lot of folks who don't like password managers, or there was one fellow who didn't like the cloud very much, um, who were saying some super negative things like, this is all you can ever expect. How could you ever trust someone with your passwords? As though, you know, they had left them lying around in a box and somebody stole the box. According to the reviews of the note that was written and the release was done by LastPass, looks like a developer's account got compromised. And so they got access to the source code associated with the way in which LastPass runs. I don't know how much. It's not super clear. Do they get it all or just most or some? But what is very clear from the statement is they don't have access to your passwords. That's not the way this works, right? They create a utility and you're holding them. Now, if somebody can crack the source code and figure it out, maybe that'll be a problem going down the hill, right? Or if they find a way to introduce flawed code, like we've seen in some other places, like that, that was part of the source of the log4j problem. If they can introduce compromised code into the source tree, that might be a problem. It doesn't sound like any of that stuff is either alleged or indicated by what we see. So for me, 
as people are thinking about LastPass, this is a breach. Uh, an account was compromised, stuff was stolen, but I don't believe it's a breach of the millions of folks who trust LastPass for the password management. If you read the titles of the articles, especially from this morning, and you only read that, it would certainly seem like the sky is falling. Yes. You know what? Just roll back over, go back to bed. It's all gone. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> it's unfortunate. But yeah, I agree. I think what it does is it says that, you know, that somebody was pretty thoughtful about the model they used when they created LastPass. I think that LastPass did a smart thing because this sort of proves, right, by the absence of evidence of actually stuff getting stolen, that their model of I'm going to build this utility and you guys are handling all the data, right, all the storage yourselves, more or less as individuals, is a good one. So that even when they get compromised, that stuff isn't lying around waiting to be compromised as well, right? It's off someplace else. So I think it's a good architectural decision, good decision by the company. They had issues back in 2015 mm -hmm. originally. So, you know, I'd like to think they've made some changes internally to mitigate any risk. But I mean, the truth of the matter is like companies like LastPass and everybody else that does what they do, like there's people ferociously going after them. I mean, if you get access to that treasure trove, you're into everywhere you want to be. But I, I would agree with what you said is for LastPass, if you can get to the point where you as an organization might suffer a shortcoming, that you can suffer it singularly without affecting everybody else. And you can compartmentalize everybody else and how you architect that so no one else is affected. It's really the only reasonable model. Yep. And to your point, you know, they did take the sting back in, I guess it was 15, like you say, that there was exposure, potential exposure of those actual credentials that mattered. And so now it's seven years later, lots can change. So it looks like they may have made the right decision. It's nice to see. Yeah. And I think the lesson here is don't get up in the morning and read security headlines. Oh, ever. <laughs> Friggin' ever. Period. Yeah. Wait till a little bit later in your day. Right on. Minimizes the amount of hours you've ruined. <laughs> <laughs> damn true all right well listen thank you thanks to our listeners for listening i like the breach of the week i think there's lessons to be learned here i think the lesson i like the best is the ones that comes out of last pass think hard about what could happen when things go sideways and maybe they had to learn the lesson the hard way seven years ago but at least they learned it and it looks like the second breach shows that it's not as bad and i'm sure they're going to work to make sure that this doesn't happen again so good on them and maybe the other lesson from the other breach is you know look pretty hard at the way you think people should be not everybody has to fit in the same box to the point you made at the top of the show. All kinds of different people will be awesome CISOs for different kinds of organizations. But maybe we as an industry have to look at it a little more differently. And maybe we have to get our backs up a little bit more, get a little bit more angry, get a little bit more willing to say things so that people, vendors, service providers, regulators start to take security problems as seriously as they take other forms of problems that can negatively affect shareholder value and customer experience. All right. Thanks to our listeners. If you like the show, please rate it five stars. Please share it with your friends. Please help us share the good words with as many people as, as possible. Uh, you can reach us at info at newharborsecurity.com. If you need cybersecurity help from an awesome cybersecurity firm who knows what they're doing and has their stuff together, you can find us at newharborsecurity.com and we'll get you on the, the next episode.